I direct your attention to Jeremiah, the prophetic corpus once again of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. And I will read verses 11 through 14 once again, as you've already heard those and read those. And sharing from the New International Translation of the original Hebrew text, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For the word of the Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and Places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the application of his awesome word. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hearts have felt. We thank you, dear Lord, that you've allowed us to rise this morning with our minds stayed on Jesus. You didn't have to, but you did it anyhow. And we are grateful, Lord, for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Bless your word to our hearts, O Lord. Give us strength for the journey ahead. Remind us that underneath are those everlasting arms. And again, you've not brought us thus far to abandon us, but you will see us through. We give your name praise. We give your name glory. It is in the majestic, marvelous name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Let me thank Reverend Fred Webb, Jr. for that marvelous introduction and taking the time to try to get my name right, which isn't easy. And appreciate uh, his leadership, his warmth. He met us at the car and, and extended a hand of welcome and brought us to the pastor's office and nurtured us with his wisdom and his laughter. You all know something about that. <laughs> to this place. God's people are beautiful and wonderful and we are thankful. In the meantime, we understand that it's so important to read this 
passage of scripture from the context in which it is uttered. We hear it uh, so often, I have it as part of my email because it's gotten me through so much through the years. Wearing it as a bracelet now, today, we see it posted different places. And it is a powerful word from the Lord. It was for the covenant people and it is for us today, the disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah, as a text, the entire chapter tells us, was into writing letters at this juncture uh, in his ministry. He sent a letter from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles. He sent a letter to the priests and the prophets and all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Even the king and the queen, and he entrusted the letter to those in high places that he had befriended that still were those who would be called his friends. And so it said, this is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says to all of those that I, that is Yahweh, carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that too you may have sons and daughters, that they too may have sons and daughters. And he urges them to increase in number, don't decrease and while you're living in the city, seek the peace and the prosperity of, of the city in which you live because as I bless the city, I'll bless you. He says pray for it because as it prospers, you too will prosper. He says don't let the prophets and the diviners and uh, those who are influencers and those who are always speaking quote unquote, on behalf of God, uh, tell you lies and deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. And uh, they are prophesying lies to you, but they're using my name to do it. And the Lord says, but I haven't sent them. And the Lord says, when, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then the passage of scripture that is our foundational scripture from the thought in the meantime. And here from Jeremiah 29.1 through chapter 32, we see this compilation of letters that, that are being sent uh, to Jerusalem and between Jerusalem and Babylon because false prophets are telling the people that uh, this crisis that you're in the midst of will not last long. It's gonna pass soon. In three years, the pandemic will be over and everybody will be hunky-gory. They're speaking lies as if nobody is still dying of COVID-19. They're 
They're telling you everything is all right now, as if they were speaking today. And so Jeremiah had to write the letters in order to correct the nonsense and to lift up the truth in an era where there is no truth. And so many of the exiles who believed the false prophets and were, were making no effort to then assimilate in the culture in which they now found themselves, they made no effort to adjust they, uh, to the surroundings because they didn't think they were going to be there that long. You know, it's like moving in a place that you believe God sent you to go, but you say to yourself, I won't be here long. And 40 years later, you're still saying, I won't be here long. And you're living as if you're going to go somewhere else when God says, this is where I planted you for right now. So you ought to just make life here. And so Jeremiah sent the letter exhorting them to, uh, to settle down and build houses, to plant gardens for for. For he knew by the revelation of the word of God that they would be in Babylon for many years according to the plan and the purpose of God. But your expected end, according to verse 11, will come as you wish, as if God was saying, I will give you the kind of life where you can know that good things will happen for you in the future. But in the meantime, The question is raised as we look at Jeremiah's narrative. What is success? And it has been stated that success is about achieving goals and achieving wealth and prestige, about favor and getting power. That's what our society tells us. That successful people enjoy the good life, being financially and emotionally secure surrounded by admirers and enjoying the fruits of their labors. They are called leaders and opinion makers, trendsetters. Their examples are emulated, their accomplishments noted. They are the kind of people who know who they are and where they are going and they strive with confidence to meet their goals. All those are wonderful things, and if you fit in that category, God be with you. But this story and this narrative brings up something else that we ought to pause to consider on our journey. By these standards, Jeremiah was a miserable failure. He preached for 40 years and nobody listened. Consistently, with passion, he urged the people of faith to act, but nobody moved. He had no material success. He was poor and deprived, thrown into prison, even an underground cistern, taken to Egypt against his will, rejected by his neighbors and family, the false prophets and peace who were the order of the day, his friends, and even his audience, and even the kings. They rejected the voice of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in many ways, as a servant of God, stood alone carrying God's message, announcing the new covenant, weeping over the fate of his beloved country. Hallelujah. But in God's eyes, there's another standard. 
in God's eyes, there's something more to be said. Jeremiah was one of the most successful people in all of history. All of his prophecies came to realization. In the midst of opposition, he honored his call and spoke the truth, the power. And he was obedient and faithful. He moved about in the world with courage and he proclaimed the word of God even though nobody wanted to hear the word of God. And so God used him in a mighty way. Someone said we are all encouraged by a leader who stirs us to make, uh, to move ahead and someone who believes that we can do the task that they have given us to do and who will be with us all the way. God is that kind of leader. He, he knows the future and God has his plans and God is good for us and God allows us to be full of hope and as long as God knows the future, everything's going to be all right. God provides an agenda after he destroys your agenda and my agenda and goes with us to fulfill the mission that God has birthed us to be about. And then we can live with boundless hope in the meantime. This does not mean that we will be spared pain and suffering or hardship or sickness, but that God will see us through to a glorious conclusion that brings his name glory. And 12 through 14 in that 29th chapter simply reminds us that God did not forget God's people. Even though they were in captivity in Babylon, he planned to give them a new beginning and a new purpose and to turn their lives into fulfillment. And God promised to see them through in the midst of dire circumstances. And it may appear sometime for you and me that God has forgotten all about us. That God has, that God has forgotten about America. That God has forgotten about the community. That God has forgotten about the people. But we know that God does not forget. God may be preparing you as he did the people of Judah for something new and something wonderful, a new beginning, a beginning that puts God at the center of everything. It was with much, much hope that many pastors like myself thought that during the midst of the pandemic that people would be, when they got a chance to get back to the church, just standing in line to get back into God's house because they lived through the pandemic and through vaccinations and boosters and this thing and that thing and, and those who in conspiracies and everything else that they would find their way to the house of praise and take time to give God glory. I guess that's still in process, amen? But I'm so glad you're here this morning. So glad you decided to get up and come to church. So glad you decided to give his name praise. 
because we know they're going to be at the entertainment venue. We know they're going to pack out the stadiums for the football games. We know that. But they're a little slow getting back to church where hope is preached, reminding us that our dependence is on God and not on popular ideologies and not on prophecies or political power, whatever power that may take. God is God all by God's self. And beside God, there is no other. They may go up, but they can come down. They may have power now, but there's a tomorrow where God is in charge. And God's promises are promises of, promises of restoration. God's appearances in the midst of circumstances bring hope and remind us that God's word will see us through. So God's word is a subject in the meantime. In the meantime, we understand that to mean living, waiting, during the time before something happens, before a specified period ends while something else is being done or something else is being thought of. We all live in, in between times. In the meantime, when we're in high school, we can't wait to graduate and get up on mom and daddy's house to get our own place. But in the meantime, you gotta abide by the rules of the house. Sometime even as early as elementary, but definitely in middle school, they think they're grown. Running around slamming doors in the house and staying on phones till two in the morning. They say, one day you're gonna get out of my house, but in the meantime, you better shut that down. In the meantime, I'm gonna take that phone from you. And the next time you slam that door, I'm going to take it off the hinges. In the meantime, working every day, waiting for retirement. Sometimes we get so caught up on retirement, we slip on the work we're supposed to do every day. Looking forward to obtaining that degree. In the meantime, taking exams and burning the midnight oil. In the meantime, you've got to learn how to live. Mingling while waiting for that permanent mate. Going online, seeing who you can pick up. <laughs> Trying to find a mate somewhere. Some people find them, they snatch them from the bushes. And if I got one like catching fish. And say, I need a man, so I snatch one from the bushes. <laughs> and that's the way he behaves also. That's where you got it from. Mingling. In the meantime, waiting to find that mate, that partner, that spouse. Waiting for that next vacation 
waiting for the scientific cure of that nagging ailment, waiting for your numbers to be called for the next mega millions. Oh, I didn't mean to say that here. I, I thought I was somewhere else. I, in the meantime, waiting for the policies that will bring freedom and justice and prosperity to all of God's children. It's important to see as we wait for birthdays and anniversaries and graduations and marriage ceremonies and house closings. In the meantime, to stand on the word of God but embrace the promises of God. And sometimes we utilize the scripture and, and when we think about Jeremiah 29, 11, too often uh, we think of it in terms of materialism. And we are caught in the snag of this capitalistic empire so that every blessing of God is a new car or a new boat or a new house or a new garment or a new purse or new shoes rather than a new heart. In the meantime, the four things simply underscore that we note from this passage of scripture. Number one is that God knows. God knows what the world is going through this morning and God knows about the bombs that are dropping and God knows about the racist and evil slot against people of color. God knows against about the policies against us and God knows about what they're trying to do to uh, destroy public education and God knows what they're trying to do to redline and cause us to vote for only one kind of candidate. God knows, God sees all of the guns and the violence and, 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 and the cry of the mothers. God knows. But God knows also that God can make a way out of no way and that, and that God sits high but he looks low and that he's a saving God. He's a redeeming God. He's a merciful God. And he can change a heart and he can change a mind. God knows. But secondly, God cares. God cares for us. It's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says when I was going through my ups and downs and the trials of life. I know that God knows what I'm going through. I know God cares for me. I know God loves me with an everlasting love. And God cares and it's as if the Lord is saying, I got you. In the same way that Elizabeth Baird Browning said, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the death and breadth and height my soul can reach. Isn't that what God says about us? I got you. Recently, I was looking at the movie again, A Few Good Men, and, and in that one, that one scene in the end, toward the end, and it's so powerful, but right before it, something else takes place that spoke to me so loudly about the caring and nurturing of God 
in a secular kind of a way. Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Demi Moore were in that, and he was Kathy, and we saw Colonel Jessup and, and Lieutenant Galloway and Weinberg, and, and there was one occasion when the trial wasn't going well and they started turning on each other, and there was a sense of conflict, and I'll never forget that they were struggling with how this particular Marine base was functioning and they were Navy officers, and, and as they were leaving the courtroom, uh, Garrison then says, or Galloway says, why do you hate them so much, the Marines? And then he responds, Weinberg responds, because they tortured a weaker kid. He couldn't run as fast. And then he thought for a moment as he went on with that diatribe, and then he turned to her and said, why do you like them so much? And she said, because they stand on the wall and say, nothing is going to hurt you tonight. Not on my watch. But isn't that what God says to us? Nothing's going to hurt you tonight. Not on my watch. God cares. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what the devil has brought to your door, God is greater. Greater is he that is in us and he that is in the world. God can make a way out of no way because God cares. God loves and God is present. And then third, God plans. God is always planning as if to say this is not all there is. And so there is no place, and our 80-year-olds can tell us the reason they, some of them ran down here to get that presentation. They could tell you that there's more to live for. God is still God, and the Lord is moving in a mighty way. And I'm here because of the goodness of the Lord. God plans, and God strategizes for your future and for my future and the future of New Providence. God and First Baptist Church, God plans. And God creates the future. There is more, so do not fear. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. But of what power? But of what love? But of what a sound mind? And so God is moving in a mighty way. God is moving. And then fourth is that God answers prayer. And he said, if you just talk to me sometime, if you just come to me with your troubles sometime, if you just turn off the TV long enough and close the top of the computer and hide that cell phone and then pick up the landline and turn it over where nobody can call, the telemarketers can't call no more. And if you just get down on your knees and call on my name, if you just say, I need help, Lord. Help me, Lord. Show me, God. Guide me, Lord. I will answer. And I will move in a mighty way. Oh, God is a powerful God. God shows up. In the meantime, we got to work for the Lord. In the meantime, we got to live for the Lord. We don't know what's coming out of Washington, 
but I don't care what's coming out of Washington. I know what came out of heaven all the way down and died on an old rugged cross for the sins of all the world. And he is my deliverer. He will see us through. And we need in the meantime to hold to the horns of the altar. Don't give up now. And there's an interesting aspect of this narrative that is so easily overlooked. Exilic spirituality. Which means all of us go through exile. We get dislocated from our families. We lose romantic partners. We go through divorce experiences. We get fired from jobs or laid off. We, we move to new places we've never been before. That and so much more. But then the passage talks about an intense spirituality that emerges out of the exile experience. If you make use of it, it's an intense inwardness where instead of turning to something external to get you high and to get you through, instead you turn inwardly where you'll meet the Savior. You'll meet God himself. And God will then create in you a deeper faith that will see you through. And when that deeper faith comes, you'll be able to say with David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You'll be able to trust in him when the wicked advance against me, David said, to devour me. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall, though an army besiege me. My heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then I will be confident. One thing, one thing, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And so he says unto us, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I say to you, wait in the meantime on the Lord. Be strong in the meantime. Take heart in the meantime. Wait in the meantime. God will see you through. Don't you know? Have you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with weak as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God is a way maker. God 
God is a deliverer. God is a savior. Jesus died, but he rose again on the third day. Early on the third day. And because he lives, I can live also. Because he lives, I can make it through the meantime. Because he lives, my body can be healed. Because he lives, God will make a way out of no way. Yes. Yes. Is he all right? Is he all right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is a good God. We, through the scripture, have heard the word. Let the church say amen. amen. Let all the church say amen. amen. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. God bless you. We know that you have been blessed through the hearing of God's Word on this day. We invite you to join us at New Providence Missionary Baptist Church, located at 4813 Hilltop Needmore Road, Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. For more information, you can contact our ministry at 919-552-3531 or visit our website at www.NewProvidenceBaptist.com. Thank you for joining us and be blessed.